Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA businesses and allies offer. If we can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. Hi, this is Anne-Marie Zanza. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Business Success. I'm so excited to welcome to the show today, Misha Saffron, PCCMA. She is the founder of CEEQ, Center for Empathy and Emotional Intelligence, LLC. Misha is a credentialed professional life coach and founder of the Center for Empathy and Emotional Intelligence. She's an award-winning speaker, new author, and earned the C. CEO NIH Award in Recognition of Successful DEIA Training. Misha creates brave spaces for clients to navigate their discomfort while developing new skills. Professional communities thrive as team members as team members discover value and celebrate one another's successes and find new enthusiasm for their work together. Misha enjoys helping leaders reset their mindset to empower their voices, resulting in renewed energy, enhanced problem-solving creativity, and thoughtful communication by centering empathy and emotional intelligence. Misha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very glad to be here. So cool to hear things read back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was my pleasure. I'm not the best reader in the world, but I can talk to people. Yeah, talking to people, that works. (laughs) That I'm okay with. So Misha, tell me a little bit about your queer journey. Yeah, so I don't know. This isn't the first time I've shared it, but I certainly haven't shared it as much as many other people because I came out late in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I always knew that I was attracted to um, women, that I was attracted to intelligence, that I was attracted to uh, attracted to um, kindness and smiles and joy. And that translated into really just kind of figuring out who I was and, and accepting myself and my quirkiness, uh, what I call kind of sometimes oddballness, but in love, not, not as, a, as a mean thing to say to myself. And in 2000, 2006, which was a beautiful collection of people from different backgrounds, races, um, LGBTQIA+. And we got the opportunity to sing with the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus on tour. And the tour was called the Lavender Pen Tour. Mm-hmm. And there were 300 of us, incredible people and voices, singing in five states, considered the red states, singing about love. One of the songs that the Gay Men's Chorus sang was Love Can Build a Bridge. Mm-hmm. And we sang together um, in the chapel in Selma, Alabama. We marched together with rainbow flags as we're going all across what I would like to call the John Lewis Bridge, but it's the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Edmund Pettus um, Bridge, and, yeah. And so I was, as I was getting to the middle of the bridge, I called my dad because my dad did special justice work back in the 60s. And I said, dad, look around, look where we are. And, you know, we had all our flags and it was like, you know, and we were marching with people that had marched with Martin Luther King. 
And so it was quite, and I had chills. I, I mean, goosebumps. It was like this incredible feeling came over me. And when we hung up the phone, I looked around and I'm like, why am I walking as an ally? I actually am queer. Mm-hmm. Why do I keep pushing? And I, you know, I was married to a man. I had children and I, and I you know, I've always, you know, been a, a person of resilience and like, I, I'm going to love and be where I am as best as I can. But I was missing something. Something wasn't right for me. I felt like I was hiding myself. I was dancing around my desires. And so I, that's when I came out and ironically, I went, when I got back to California, I was in, I was out of shape because I had five miles. So the tour took a lot of energy out of me. We were singing two concerts a day. And so it was about nine concerts in that five days. When I got back, I had to do some lab work at Kaiser, my medical place. And while I was waiting for my appointment, I walked into the gift shop and in the gift shop, there was this ring, which I don't know if you can see it. Wow. A rainbow ring. Yeah. And it was $20. And I'm like, can I try that on? And they said, sure. And I put it on and it fit. And I said to myself, I do. So I married myself. Ah. And then I started, you know, sharing with people. I'm, I'm queer. I, I'm bisexual. I'm lesbian. I, I was still trying to explore. Uh, the terms don't really work well for me because I'm still kind of, while I'm in a relationship with a beautiful uh, human, uh, she and I are engaged to be married. We've been together three years. I think queer truly encapsulates all of who I am. Um, mm-hmm. Because when I think of queer, I think of quirky. When I think of queer, I think of, I can love anybody I want. When I think of queer, I can, I think of, I can love me and be in love with me. Yeah. I think that's about the journey I can share about right there. <laughs> well, you know, you, did you look me up? I'm, I'm just curious. I did. Yeah. yeah. I came out later in life and most yeah. of my work has been with later in life lesbians. So mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of people, so I completely understand your story so well. And I'm so excited. I think you're my I don't know if you're my first later in life person that's been on my show, maybe second or third, but in, in this capacity on queer business mm-hmm. success, but I'm just going to do a little plug. If you want to hear the more later in life stories, you should listen to my other podcasts coming out and beyond because that has a ton of later in life stories from women. And now this season I'm featuring men. I'm having men on the podcast. Oh, so I'm pretty excited about that. And I have non-binary folks and trans folks too. And so it's yeah. really excited to to share those stories. So and I use she, she, they pronouns. And actually, interestingly enough, so my partner and I have the conscious couples community. We work with women who love women. And so it's, it's a bunch of couples that we work. Oh, together. so you're with, um, uh, your partner is um, Jody. Jody. Okay. I am yeah. thinking of Oh, you're probably thinking of uh, Ruth Schwartz, who does the Ruth, Yeah, I know Ruth. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, yeah. So I we 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 knew Ruth, and we were we actually that's how we met. Jody and I was through the Conscious Girlfriend Academy three years ago. We met virtually, and then we met and we predated for two months, and then I flew to Pennsylvania. We met in person, and the, the rest, rest is history. History, history, history. <laughs> I actually, but yeah, but as a result of working with Ruth, we we were inspired and talked to Ruth about it, and she's like, absolutely, that's no 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 competition we were like we really want it because when we were in conscious girlfriend it's really for singles and we wanted to create something for couples that we have the conscious couple community so it's such a small lesbian world (laughs) if it is Because I'm like, oh, you're dating Ruth. (laughs) I couldn't remember her name. But when you do this work, you're sort of all like, you know, of each other. You know, Ruth and I 
we've been on a couple of Zoom calls together, but never have done anything together. So that's really cool. That's so neat, Misha. So I interviewed her for my podcast and had a wonderful time with her. So I'm sure she would love to be on your podcast. Yeah, I should. Um, So tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to opening your business. So what did you do in your previous existence? (laughs) Yeah. So um, I was a an educator. I taught French and Spanish and English to English language learners for middle school, high school, community college, and then even university. And I did that for about 30 years. 2013, I had a car accident and it took a year and a half to figure out what was wrong with me. It turns out I had fibromyalgia mm-hmm. and my doctor had to take me out of the classroom um, in 2015. So I went for six months off just trying to figure out who, how do I, how do I be me now? I can't be a classroom teacher. And that was my passion. At the same time, I was caregiving my mother who had cancer and it was ter- she was terminally ill. After she passed away, I dove into self-care and was able to go back to teaching both independent study one-on-one. A couple years fast forward, my school district discriminated against me based on my disability. And with the support of my family and my partner, come 2020, I resigned and started building my business because I could regulate my accommodations myself Mm -hmm. instead Mm -hmm. of relying on a district or other institution to provide for me. And so as I first started my business, it was more in the realm of academic life coaching, working with children the ages of nine through college on adulting, executive function, time management, self-advocacy, voice empowerment, you know, studying, backward study plan. And I'll put a plug in for Gretchen Wagner, who was my mentor there, who came up with the anti-boring approach to studying strategically. And then as I was kind of exploring the pandemic, the death of um, George Floyd, and a lot of awful hatred coming through from the presidency at the time, number 45, I felt like, oh, we need more joy. Yes. <laughs> and so I started becoming a joy and resilience coach. And I started working with women who love women in the areas of joy, relationship building, connection through through joy, you know, loving oneself, navigating, maneuvering through one's own malicious messaging, joy amidst adversity. And then I became a facilitator and was doing some DEI training. And so all of this kind of came to a culminating boom. Someone said, Misha, your strength is empathy and emotional intelligence. And I talked to my partner and I was like, I think they're right. (laughs) (laughs) And so while while joy is still a huge piece of what I coach and what I train and what I um, use in my practice, I am working with people to really center empathy and emotional intelligence for their own well-being, but also for the well-being of the workplace so that they can nurture healthy, positive, and sustainable relationships. Because in the end, everybody wants to belong in some way or fashion. Oh, and in order for that belonging and inclusion to happen, we need to center empathy. But in order to center empathy, we need to build emotional intelligence and we need to take care of ourselves because we cannot get into that empathic place if we're kind of a mess. Right. And then as a result of cultivating that, we get included in belonging, which then leads us to a greater sense of wanting to support diversity, equity, and access. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people will disagree with me. They're like, no, diversity has to come first. And that may be true. Diversity is already there, but it's not working because people aren't hearing each other. People aren't taking the time to enjoy each other, to appreciate each other. So it's been a journey. I've been self-employed for three years and it's been fluctuating, but I really feel like I'm finally in my my calling. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting you say that. So um, my background is in ministry and, you know, mm-hmm. almost every religion has, you know, what's the greatest affirmation is to love the, the deity, love God, the deity, love the source, love your neighbor and love yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And what I find is that people struggle so much with loving their neighbors because they don't really love themselves. Yes. Yes. And so really the first thing is you, I mean, I think it's sometimes people love their neighbors and love the universal because it's so much easier than loving yourself, really, truly loving yourself. And so I think that then it's not a, it's not a selfish kind of love. It is a love of compassion and a love when we love ourselves well, a love of compassion for ourselves and a love of empathy and the compassion and the empathy is like saying, you know, you're human. You made a mistake. It's okay. You know, you're tired today. It's okay. You should take some rest right now. Something you would say to another person like that. But when you say it to yourself, especially if you're, you know, an adult child of an alcoholic or a drug addict or you're codependent, you're not going to take that rest for yourself. And so I really appreciate what you're trying to create. It's like, I really do understand what you're doing. Yeah. And I think it's Thank really you. important because we have to teach people how to love because they don't even, unfortunately, in this day and age, a lot of, t- a lot of people don't know how to do it or they don't know yeah. how to do it in a really healthy way. And I right, that's what you're trying, you know, with emotional intelligence and empathy is to get people to learn how to do that. Yeah. And, yeah, and you know, what, what people need to understand is loving doesn't always mean accepting. You mm-hmm. know, loving doesn't always mean liking even. But it's like when you can take a and, and the hardest part for humans, I think, is that as you start to love yourself, if there's anybody in your circle or just outside of that that decides that you did something wrong and you're not okay, that love deteriorates so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I can speak from experience. Like I've worked so hard for 14 years now on myself, learning to love myself, learning to be okay with myself, learning to even identify that I make mistakes. I'm, I'm absolutely, I am a masterpiece in progress. I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. But if I make a mistake and somebody's angry with me, upset with me, disappointed, and and wants to kind of shred me apart, it's so easy to go to that place and say, "Yeah, you're right. I suck," mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. lose my love for myself. That doesn't do anybody any good. Mm-mm. I have to continuously work on loving myself so that I can love other people when they treat me that way. Mm-hmm. I can know it's a hurt person hurting another person, mm-hmm. right? Because hurt people hurt people. Hurt people. And it's a very like, uh, what is it? A very, uh, sometimes it sounds like a trite saying, but it's really true. I mean, really hurt people do hurt people and cause a lot of damage to, and sometimes it is not from a place of, maliciousness it's it it's from a pace place of deep pain you know where they have been really really hurt by oftentimes primary caregivers um by love relationships by their children and they just don't know how to navigate that pain in any other way but then to hurt another person and that's really actually super that's sad for all of us yeah And, and i think people also don't know often how to navigate love yeah. You know, they don't know how to navigate joy. I mean, a lot of the women that I was working with a couple of years ago around joy, I had to restructure my whole class because I thought all these people were jumping into my joy class because they were excited they were going to have joy. But 90% of them were traumatized by joy. Mm-hmm. And they were like really scared. They were jumping in because they knew it was something they wanted to work on, but they had been traumatized by feeling joy and the other shoe dropping. 
Yes. So I had to like reorient my whole class because like, ooh, this is like, I'm treading on that. You know, this is, we got to be cautious here. I had to well, blow everything way down. Yeah. And also too, like that shoe other, that that's, that's classic codependent behavior when you're waiting Absolutely. for the other shoe to drop. And so that is more of a, a learned response because a lot of times when people were small children, again, you know, like they were having joy, they were having fun and then something happened, an adult in their life mm-hmm. misbehaved or, or there was something going on between the two adults that had nothing to do with the child. And so like the joy was often stripped away quite quickly. And so Mm -hmm. if that happens enough time in your life, when you're young or teenager, or even in your twenties, you become, you just get used to expecting it. And, but this is the thing I know now as an old lady, (laughs) (laughs) I'm in my fifties. I'm not that old. But I, I would exactly. thank you very much because I'm in what, my 50s. And if you were going to call yourself old, I'd be like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing what I do know is that like change is again, cliche. The only constant is change. Only a constant is change. So change will happen now and then. But but we can't go around for it expecting to always be disappointed. It's almost like creating our own reality, you know, That's by really expecting profitable. disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All this life experience, tell me about your business. What do you do exactly? Who are your clients? Who do you serve? Yeah, so now as Center for Empathy and Emotional Intelligence, I am a leadership coach and a leadership development trainer for staff and leaders. And what I do is I support coach, I support organizations specifically currently right now with what's been gravitating towards me are nonprofits, but I I really, um, and that's great. And I love working with nonprofits, but I work with leaders who are decision makers and who would like to really make a shift with culture change. They would like to see their organizations being more cohesive. They would like to see people enjoying their work. They would like to see less employees disappearing into the ether um, or to other companies who have better reputations for how they treat their employees, leaders who want to have a little bit of fun in the workday. So I, I help them by truly working on communication skills. I I suggest that they put on their super cape, which is a term that I kind of coined, which is stands for compassionate communication. So I give them those skills to to really nurture conversations that are healthy, even if they're not in agreement. Then it's uh, assuming positive intent, just like you were talking about earlier, you know, yes, hurt people, hurt people, but they didn't necessarily come into this world intending to hurt other people, right? So in in the workplace, we want to assume that somebody has come in with the intention of doing a good job, but they might've made a mistake. Now they're afraid because they can't tell you they made a mistake. They cover it up and all hell breaks loose, whatever. So a compassionate communication of semi-positive tense, the, the intent, the principles of IDEAB, so inclusion, diversity, equity, access, and belonging. And I, I think I stress them a lot, those principles, because again, that comes back to, let me get to know you, right? Mm-hmm. And then the last one is empathy before accusation. Mm-hmm. So when you think about a person's intentions, and we talk about these days, especially with DEI work, that, you know, yeah, they had good intentions, but the impact was really intense. So we need to honor the impact and how that experience was for someone. But we need to really step into empathy before we can accuse, right? And so while, yes, somebody called me, well, you know, the song, short people don't have no right to live. I really was very yeah. upsetting when I heard that song, which did. But the intention... You know, the impact of that song really kind of like, oh, I'm a short person. That doesn't feel good. I'm a short person. (laughs) Okay. So if I take the time, though, to find out what's that song about, who wrote it, why did they write that song? That's my empathy before I accuse them of being a schmuck. (laughs) 
right? Right. Right. And to be even more serious about this, because racism is real and discrimination is real and hate is real and it can be in the workplace. You take the the example of the young black man that was on a person's Porsche accidentally and got shot, ended up in the hospital. There was accusation before there was empathy. If the man mm-hmm. behind the door had just said, how can I help you? And the young man said, I'm looking for my siblings. I'm here to pick them up. He could have just said, you had the wrong address. Oh, sorry. And walked away without being shot. So in the workplace, there's a different way of shooting people. Mm-hmm. There's bullying, there's belittling, there's dismissing, there's negating. So when I support leaders to put on their super cape, they can be more compassionate and nurturing and loving while still being productive, while people can feel that sense of belonging and ownership in the success of the company as a collective. Nutshell. <laughs> cool. Um, so how do you teach empathy to somebody? I mean, if you're getting, so I'm, I'm assuming if most of the clients that are coming to you are from nonprofits, typically people that run nonprofits are pretty compassionate and empath- empathetic. So it's probably not a big stretch, but say if somebody is like, just like the thought of empathy is so outside their wheelhouse. How do you teach that to people? So I want to answer that before I go there. I want to just acknowledge that we have a neurodivergent population, right? Mm-hmm. So not everybody, empathy might not be outside of someone's wheelhouse because they don't care for it, but more that it's very hard to integrate, whether you're on the autism spectrum or in other places, sometimes there's just a, a social uh, disconnect, right? In the mm-hmm. way we relate and connect. Mm-hmm. And it can be very hard to teach empathy. And so what I really rely on is the power of pause, supporting mm-hmm. people to kind of slow down and step back when they hear something and not immediately take it personally. So if you think about The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, I believe was Mm -hmm. the author, right? It's be impeccable with your word, don't take things personally. That that big one, don't take things personally, really has a huge place in the study of empathy and the work that I do with empathy because typically it's not about you. Yes. Typically it's not about you or you or you, right? Or me, right? Typically it's about identifying who is it about? What's going on? And when we pause, then we, I don't really have to teach empathy. It's just really, let's learn how to pause and communicate and ask questions. And this has kind of been my journey with learning how to be a coach, as opposed to mm-hmm. somebody being a therapist or a consultant or a mentor. As a coach, I ask a lot of questions, mm-hmm. but I don't ask questions because I need to better understand. I ask questions so you know who you are and where you want to go from where you are right here. And Mm -hmm. so when I work with leaders, when I work with staff, who are you? Where do you want to be? Why is that important to you? And when Sam can say why it's important to him, Julie can say, oh, I didn't know that's why it was important to you. For example, I just had a conversation with someone yesterday about my pronouns. Mm -hmm. They're like, why? What's up with these pronouns? Right? And I got to say, you know what? Because I grew up in a place where there was the girl, there was the boy. And there were the stereotypes, what a boy does, what a boy plays with, what a girl does, what a girl plays with. Well, guess what? I'm all over the map. Mm -hmm. And so I find that the they, them works for me quite well because I don't know that I can say I fit into this or that stereotype. And a lot of people, and there are other people that have pronoun reasons, you know, different reasons for using their pronouns. But the more people identify why something's important, they can become a little more educated 
which builds the opportunity for empathy. And empathy doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything you say and why you're feeling what you're feeling. And I'm going to feel that way too. It's just, thank you for explaining that. Now I know a little bit more of who you are and it creates connection. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And empathy is not sympathy. No. No, no, because a lot of times people get that confused. Yeah. Empathy is an attempt to understand, I believe, while sympathy is more like, oh, I'm so sorry that's happening to you. And really, right. you know, and, and, and it has its place, definitely has yeah. its place. Um, yeah. And I see it as, a, a, it, it, and I was just writing an article this morning, it's a pinch of understanding and a touch of compassion. Ah, very nice. I love that. I like that. That's I a like great it too. Recipe. It's a great yeah, recipe. And I and I, I can't say I got I made it up myself though. I, I was why I was writing my article and I asked Chat GPT a question, <laughs> and I and loved it, what came out of it. So, but I, I you know attribution to whoever created the Chat GPT. But I loved it. It was like it was like oh I love this. Yeah. Chat. What I have found with Chat Chat GPT it can answer easy questions. Anything harder than like that's not actually an easy question, but that's they can find question. that. They can they can yeah. find it on the internet pretty quickly. Um, I tried to find I was I pre I preached last Sunday because I was you know one of the churches in Nashville asked me to help out so I preached last Sunday and I put something into it and it couldn't answer it I <laughs> it couldn't and actually yeah, what yeah. was you'll appreciate this um, because I was preaching on Juneteenth and I put in something tell me about the slave narratives which I know what the slave narratives are because I read them when I was got my master's degree but it couldn't answer the question racial bias and the AI right, right now, like you can't even answer it. Like they, it couldn't answer it. And I was well, really, the other, yeah, go ahead. I was surprised. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just going to say, that's the other thing that I, I think people really need to start being willing to admit that we all have judgments. We all have bias. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and that's just natural. And so now if you're willing to admit it, you can do something to change it. Mm -hmm. If you're not willing to admit it and you want to stay, you know, kind of cranking that old wheel, you're going to get the same thing over mm -hmm. and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, mm -hmm. if we want to have the world crumbling with hate and disdain and, and inequities, keep doing the whole thing, you know, yeah. but if we want to shift it to make it a safer and healthier place for everybody involved, then we need to have a touch of understanding and compassion, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, what is it? A pinch of sympathy? A pinch of a, pin, a pinch of a pinch of understanding. No, wait, a pin, a touch of understanding and a pinch of compassion, or vice versa. Something like that. <laughs> um, so, the what is the need for empathy? <laughs> so, what is your biggest challenge with running your business? It can be lonely, mm -hmm. uh, but I do a lot of networking, so that helps. I would say the biggest challenge is I also, I still have my chronic condition of pain. Mm -hmm. And so I can, you know, have a wonderful training for three days and then I need three days to, to kind of step back up. And the problem is, is those three days are when the, the most momentum needs to happen with the follow-ups and the follow-throughs and the connection and the, you know, and so um, I would say that is my, it has been for all three years is, you know, staying with it because at, at the same time, honoring that my body needs to rest. Mm -hmm. um, and figuring out a new dance with the, with the follow-up and networking so mm -hmm. that I don't lose those connections because yeah, it's, it's building a business. I will never sugarcoat it for anybody. It's hard. It's mm -hmm. a lot of work. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of time as you start to work smarter and not harder, it gets easier. You have to be boldly visible and I'm willing to do that, but then I have to rest afterwards. Um, well, I'm so, getting yeah. 
I'm going to say one word to you about follow-up. Okay. Yeah. Automation, automation, you set up the follow-up before, you know, and, yeah. and, and so those go out after, and, you know, you set them up enough, like 12 to 24 hours after, so that if something happens that you have to chip quickly change in the email or something like that, but I'm going to tell you, it'll save your life. And then you just send and, Oh, and by the time they answer you back, the three days have gone by. So and that's the beauty of just deciding yesterday, I'm meeting with someone tomorrow. I've interviewed five people and I'm going to have a virtual assistant finally. So. Well, and I have one, they've saved my life and they yes. have made me look so incredibly professional. And um, <laughs> yes, I mean, I'm already professional, professional <laughs> but she has, no, she had the capability of, you know, she was a, she was a graphic designer and stuff like that before she did this work. So like she up leveled, like I was already professional, but she up leveled like the way I look and the way my graphics look and everything like that. And beyond that, yeah. she's very, um, my, my VA is just like super, super, I like, I can trust her to do anything. I'll just say here, do this and she'll do it great. So that's yeah. one. I'm, I'm excited because that's the kind of support that I've needed. And I, you know, I have a mentor now for, for my, for building my business and now I'm going to have her and I'm finally feeling like I'm at this place in my business and it takes patience, everybody. It takes patience to get to the place where you can start to hire people to support mm -hmm. you, you know, to have mm -hmm. your team. Mm -hmm. But you can um, also, you know, look for college students who are looking for apprenticeships and things like that that you can do. But, you know. Yeah, there's all kinds of ways to do it. And I'm, you're going to laugh because my VA actually is the producer of my the podcast. And so Barb will wonderful. be listening to this. And Yay! we'll have a wonderful Hi, shout out. Hey, Barb. <laughs> <laughs> now she's laughing, you know, two weeks from now as she, as she, you know, edits this. So what is the biggest successes you've had with your business? Something that you're really proud of? One, I was hired by the Ohio State University back in May to do a training with a colleague of mine we'd never met in person but we had been part of the team that won that ceo award from the national institute of health and it was a room that could seat 60 and we had 82 people in there it was wow. in the late afternoon and people were like as they were leaving i was looking forward to this all day long and i'll tell you what the afternoon is not a good time of day for me <laughs> but we did it it was about harnessing you know tapping into your energy and harnessing joy as a dei practitioner and it was so phenomenal. It was so incredible. So that's one huge success that I still went in the afternoon, 3.30 to 5 p.m. and just really had a fabulous training. Another one is I wrote my book. I finished writing a book and published it. So that was very exciting. What is the name um, of your book and what is it, it about? Is, it is called A Teacher's Companion, How mm -hmm. to Center Empathy and Emotional Well-Being for Yourself and Your Students. And it's a consumable. So I took 30 years of teaching and threw it into 53 weeks of uh, entries where a teacher can read the entry. There's questions and journaling space. So they can kind of marinate the idea for the week that they're teaching. And I'm oh, oh, I see that popping up. And then there's a positivity chart where they can identify one wish for the day. And then the evening they can identify one thing that went well and then set intentions for the next week. Mm -hmm. um, then I tell people, you can read it in four years. You know, <laughs> you can read it. No, I hear. Well, it, it honestly, it, I don't want to force teed and a lot of teachers get force fed that development. So. Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of teachers and a lot of teachers after the pan during and after the pandemic are just so disheartened and so tired and we're losing our best and brightest teachers because I'm just going to say it. Most of the teachers are women 
the world is patriarchy and we don't value our women teacher. We don't value our teachers, but there's a reason why if this was a male dominated profession, none of the things that happened to the teachers during the pandemic would have happened to. Oh no. And they, it was all male. (laughs) Yeah. So that's me. I'd still be teaching if it wasn't the patriarch that kicked me out. It was a really a committee of men that were like, yeah, we don't believe you're disabled. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) it's, I've actually, you know, I mean, I'm very fortunate because since going self-employed, leaving my district, I haven't used a cane or a walker in three years. So, you know, kudos to my endurance and my supplements and my exercise and my self-care. But yeah, patriarchy and misogyny is, is picking I can imagine with fibromyalgia, I'll just stress isn't really good for that disease. So I can no, leaving. I can imagine leaving the stress of a job where you were being doubted of, you know, that you had a disability and all the stress of working with children and the physicalness of working with teenagers and stuff like that. I can imagine that once you left that you did get a little bit better because you didn't yeah. have stress anymore. I've also found that in my later in life community, I've had women that their MS is disappears when they come out. Mm-hmm. I also have had women who have had alopecia and their hair starts mm-hmm. to grow back when they come out. Wow. So I do think there is something to be said about coming into our authenticity and how yes. that can make chronic diseases sometimes a little bit better or sometimes disappear because yeah. you know your body is telling you something and you need to listen. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's pretty amazing because I even took it, my partner and I, when we moved from Pennsylvania back to California, we drove across country. And we ended up doing an 18 mile hike um, and 12 mile hike and nine mile hike. And like, I'm doing this. It was really amazing. But- you must have been so proud of yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah. That, I would be proud of myself. I don't think I could do that. Glacier National Park hike. I was, I had my poles and I'm skipping and off. And we'd already done all these miles. Now we're on our way back. And a ranger came through, like, I've never seen this thing on the trail. I'm like, I'm just going. <laughs> Well, that's pretty exciting. (laughs) So how can people, so what, what, what would be one of your pieces of advice for anybody who was starting up coming into a business like this? What would you tell them? So please don't do it alone. Mm -hmm. Please get it. Please identify your community. One of the things that I've definitely felt was important for me and I continue to do it is I have one-on-one networking meetings with people, coffee dates, basically just getting to know people, not pitching my business to them or them pitching their business to me, but finding out who they are, who they're connected to, what they want, what they do. So I can also think about them when I meet other people. Joining a chamber of commerce, uh, specifically when I talked about earlier, I am a member of the National Gay Lesbian Chamber of Commerce, and that is the national chapter. And then I'm also a member of the Golden Gate Business Association, which is the San Francisco Bay Area chapter. And it allows me and I'm also now a member of the Martinez Chamber of Commerce where I live. It allows me to be in connection and community with other entrepreneurs. It allows mm-hmm. me to have resources. I'm also on Alignable, which is a relationship building platform. And again, people don't pitch their businesses to each other. We have events, we have activities, we connect, we support each other, we, we show up for each other. And it's just, it's an it's a inexpensive BNI. There's really hardly anything to pay for it, where you really get to encircle yourself with people who are experts in what they do. And, and maybe you need some expert advice for marketing. You've got people of all different walks of life that are at your fingertips. And finally, I would say the SBDC, the Small Business Development Center and SCORE, you can get free business mentors. Don't do it alone. Just don't. It, it's not worth it. 
It is absolutely not worth it. It's lovely to be in community with others, no matter what you're doing. It really yeah. makes it. I always like my tagline is community changes everything. So, absolutely. you know, and so now I'm business coaching and I'm in, you know, I with my later in life lesbians when I did that work and I still do that work. Um, I was very intentional to do a group coaching model be- and that was learned. It wasn't like I started out. I started out right. support groups and then I went to individual and then I combined the two. And so in I so a group coaching model model is really great for people who are just coming out because you need community when you're just coming out. You need that. Ch- you don't need a girlfriend. You don't need a boyfriend. You don't need, you, you know, a, a significant other. You need. Com- right. That's the you number one thing. Yeah, because yeah. when when your first first relationship may not do so hot or sometimes they do great, but if it may not do so hot, you need that community to fall back on because yeah. the first first queer breakup cannot can be quite heartbreaking for people. And Absolutely. Um, and businesses, you know, you need other people that are in business for themselves and understand that and understand the challenges and the really cool things about being in business for yourself. So I really agree with you that community really changes everything. And so it's really yeah, I mean think about people who are addicts and they go into the 12 step world they've got huge community international community right there ready to take a phone call and it's the same thing you know with business with relationships i need to have my community of friends and my partner needs to have her community of friends because Mm -hmm. that makes us stronger when we're together and then we have Mm -hmm. our couple community but the community is absolutely the lifeline for a healthy existence Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um misha how do people find you well, they can do a myriad of things. Oddly enough, if you Google Misha Saffron, I will pop up in a lot of different places. <laughs> um, but I think the best way would be to go to my website, and that is www.ceeq.org. And you can just do forward slash connect and set up a consultation with me or a connection call. And then, of course, you can always email me at Misha at seek.org. Okay. All right, Misha Saffron, it was great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Bye. You've been listening to Queer Business Success, the podcast that highlights LGBTQIA plus businesses. New episodes are published regularly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other listening platforms. Wherever you're listening, take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business.